I like that the nation is learning what it's like to be a full-time writer. <laughs> Everybody's in sweats. No one's showering anymore. Crippling I anxiety shower. most of the Speak time. for yourself, Clay. Gross. <laughs> 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 yeah, I just started last week. I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> oh, man. Once again, holding it down. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, and that once a week's probably because you love sports now, right? You realize that you have to shower mm. occasionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> Welcome to the fascinating podcast, episode two hundred and fifty-five. I'm Matt Michalotis. I'm Clay Morgan. I'm J.R. Hoops Asteros. <laughs> and I'm Kathy Kong. And on this week's show, we'll be talking with Gene Yang about his new graphic novel, Dragon Hoops. Oops. But first, before we start talking about basketball, which I know we're all very excited about. Hey, there's a huge March Madness dearth in this nation, buddy. <sighs> I know. We should call this the March Madness episode. Maybe we'll get more views. Maybe. Uh-huh. Uh, okay, so I know every. I feel like every time I turn on the TV, go on the internet, whatever, everyone's talking about coronavirus. It can be a little exhausting. It's important. We need the information, right? But uh, here's my favorite story so far. Uh, in China, during the forced, you know, everybody's forced to stay in their homes. They're not supposed to be going outside. 14 elephants broke into a self-isolated farm, got drunk on corn whiskey, and then slept it off in the tea garden. And they have all these pictures. We'll put a link to it. But pictures of these drunken elephants just laying on the ground in the middle of the garden. It's hilarious. What's weird you, is I had a this? very similar weekend in grad school. <laughs> with elephants or with getting drunk on whiskey? No comment. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk some about autobiographical things on today's show. <laughs> things you don't want your mom to hear on your podcast. Yeah, or read in your book. Uh, uh, this is Gene's fifth episode on the Fascinating Podcast, and that Amazing. makes him our Amazing. most returning guest. Amazing. Yep. He's, he's really polite. When you ask him, he feels like he has to, probably. Maybe that's what it is. One of the things I love about Gene... And he's very gracious. He's always kind and appreciative. But he he always uh, will have a ready question for your question. So he's very Socratic. You know, you'll hear every time we interview Gene, he always like turns the interview around and gets the interviewers talking. He kind of uh, yep. he, he kind of does our thing to us. <laughs> Maybe one day he'll do a uh, a graphic novel about being on the show with us. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's in the works, but probably after my already ordered it. After my 400th appearance on the uh, on the show. <laughs> right. How one guest outpaced one host's appearances. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It just would be fun for him to draw us, don't you think? That would be. I think Who, it would be fun for him. Which of us, <laughs> which of us is the hardest to caricature? Oh, man. I'm sure it's hard for him because when he draws my hair, there's not anything to do with it. There's not enough. <laughs> He like puts his pen on the paper. And he's like, "Ah, dang it! It's too much I'm, already." I'm JR, done. You are a living caricature. Thank you. Yeah, you I should, should be, be pretty easy, to draw, easy though. I'm the only woman. Right. <laughs> there should be very easy ways to make you stand out as a character. Right. And Clay's nine feet tall and beautiful, so that should help. <laughs> yeah. So I'll just be the like I, the average person mm. in the. They'll just he'll he can just draw you holding a euro, and everyone will know it's you. He draw me to look like um, you mean gyro, like one of the, like that. Car what is his name? Oh, the leader from the Hulk with the giant forehead. Yeah, you just draw that. Clay, I never mean gyro. <laughs> okay, you Clay, are you still saying gyro? Everybody's still saying. Thought gyro. we broke you of that. You're broke. Literally, no one says gyro <laughs> that says it right. Okay, I'm going to bring us back. Focus, <laughs> <laughs> Kathy. What do you say? Oh, Kathy's gosh. just momming everybody this week. Yes. We oh, have man. got to get back Kathy. to the show. So Fine. I yeah. want to introduce friends. Gene for us, Kathy. What? Both of you were talking at the same time. I said, why don't you introduce Gene for us? Sure. So 
Gene is a cartoonist, writer, and teacher, and he has been nominated for the National Book Award and won the Eisner and the LA Times Book Prize. He is the former National Ambassador for Young People's Literature and clearly a longtime friend of the fascinating podcast who has not yet drawn us. But <laughs> maybe he will sometime. So let's jump on over to our interview and chat with Gene. All right, Gene, welcome back to the Fascinating Podcast. Thank you all. Thank you all for having me again. I'm so glad you're not tired of uh, talking to me. <laughs> We're just talking. We think this is your fifth time on the show. Yeah, kind of crazy. That's about kind of how many times I've been on the show. So it's, it's amazing. <laughs> JR, do we have any other guests that have made it five or more times? No. Oh, Gene, you're our number one. Wow. Thanks, Scott. Number one on the show, number one in our hearts. So how, how's everybody holding up right now? <laughs> In the midst of the craziness. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Kathy is actually book. leading on. I finished your book. That's what I did. I oh, ignored God. my family. I said, leave me alone. I'm doing homework. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I uh, I let my kids adopt a rabbit yesterday. Or, like, a, they're fostering, technically, a rabbit. So that has changed the focus of our quarantine to rabbits. Uh, so that's been a healthy change for us for the last week. That sounds smart. Sounds like a really smart. How, idea. how about you, Gene? How are you? Um, I mean, you you probably have a little more experience with working from home than some people. But how has this uh, last couple of weeks been for you? Well, I was going. I, I mean, I used to go to a, a, a workspace. So maybe for the past two years, I've been working out of workspace, and that stopped. Uh, where we have the the stay at home or stay in shelter in place, I guess it's called. Yeah. Uh, that that order came down for the Bay Area maybe a week ago, and then it went statewide uh, a few days later. So we've just been stuck at home. So it's four kids, my wife and me, and uh, everyone's trying to do everything online now, right? Like, they're like trying to go on, go to school online. They're trying to connect with their friends online. I'm trying to work online. If the internet goes down, man, it'll be chaos. <laughs> yeah, that'll be that'll be a real apocalypse. It'll yeah. be like it was supposed to be for Y2K. <laughs> It'll be yeah, like the right. 1980s. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Gene, your new book, I, Dragon Hoops, came out like right as yeah. Corona was sweeping <laughs> the nation. And I, I was so sad that you had to cancel your book tour because I love getting to show up at your book tours. Um, and I can't imagine what it was like for you. But I, I love that you did a virtual book tour on Instagram. Uh, like how – I don't know. How, how did that – was that a, an immediate – idea that occurred to you or did you have to like kind of grieve the book tour or like how how quickly did that idea come together it, it came together pretty quick it came together pretty good i have to say like sometimes i i've been super lucky in terms of timing i feel like there are lots of different places where i can point to my life and, and say that i was incredibly incredibly lucky and then this time it was like the exact opposite you know like this <laughs> book tour got canceled and, and obviously i'm not the only one there pretty much every author who had a book debuting this season has had to cancel something uh and then but then on the exact day that my book was released um that was the exact day that they announced that all non-essential businesses in the bay area had to shut down so there and then that was the same day also that uh amazon uh, announced that uh non-essential items would no longer be be shipped uh, through prime that they would take oh. like, to get there i mean it, it's sucky but i feel like 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 it's a bummer but i feel like the whole world is going through a bummer right now and in terms of right. bummer, it's it's pretty it's pretty small it's pretty small so the the um the cartoon book tour that was something that came out of a conversation that i had with um the marketing team at mcmillan at my publisher uh, they had put so much time and effort into you know, meticulously planning the tour. I think it was at least as sad for them as it was for me. Just because, I mean, it was like, it was like months and months worth of planning just went up in smoke. But again, I, I was honestly excited for the, I was excited for maybe there being a free throw contest at the bookstops. Like I was, I didn't know what to expect. So, <laughs> Well, we have those, uh, they made these awesome little like plastic uh, backboards and, and, uh, and hoops that they're going to give away at some of those stops. So we totally could have done that. But um, but what we decided we I mean we 
part of it was just to stay sane, right? Like you, you want to try to like be as close to normal as you can when things are really not normal. So if we couldn't do a book tour in person, then we wanted to do at least some kind of something. So it, 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 part of it was to connect to readers, but part of it was also just for our own sanity. Maybe you can just mail them out. And I will say, I ordered your book on Amazon, and it it kept the Prime schedule. So it arrived. Oh, awesome. Yeah, it arrived awesome. during Shelter in Place. And okay. I, I, have, I read it, Sheltered in Place. So it was perfect. <laughs> See, I got, I got the Kindle edition just to be safe, because I didn't trust the hardback making it in time. But now I'm going to have to get the hardback anyway, and then it can get here whenever it gets here. Yes, because Mine it feels on, like a basketball. Mine came on release day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they did. they did such a great job on that. They, it was uh, That was a cover designer named Kurt Benshoff. I don't even know how he figured that out, but he like figured out all the textures. And yeah. That's pretty cool. Pretty, I mean, yeah, I think this is what a basketball feels like. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, Gene in my house, if usually with young adult books, if they're a big deal, there's a uh, there's a list of who gets to read them in which order. Uh, so your book made the coveted list list, uh, and three fifths of the family have now read it. So my ten year old is currently reading, so she's going to have it for a little bit. The book's a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be. I mean, you've big. been talking about how you've been working on it for years. Yeah, you've mentioned it multiple times on the show. When it came, I was like, oh, it's it's significant. It's large. Yeah, it's, um, it was a lot bigger than I was expecting it to be, too. <laughs> how, do, how, does it, how does it feel? Like how You've been working on this, is it six years, Gene? Yeah, yeah. I, well, I started in 2014, so when I was following the team. And at that point, I, I, I was telling everybody it'll probably take me two to three years to finish. And it ended up taking pretty much double that. It just kept growing. I, like, I didn't want it to grow, and it just kept growing. And <laughs> Got, it became like kind of a, a brick of a book. But it's 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 the answer to all the writers that say, "How long should my story be?" Yeah, as long as it takes. Yeah, and it's it was not. Yeah, that was not like I kept growing, and uh, my uh, my artist self kept cursing my writer self. You know, like because drawing all the. <laughs> I would like to have heard that <laughs> argument. <laughs> yeah, usually, like if I'm if I'm writing for another artist, I I feel kind of bad, but I also am just like you know, it's their job, so they got to do it. But now this time, I was the one drawing. It, so. <laughs> so can you? So with with all of oh go ahead oh go ahead. I was just gonna say with all this build up, why don't you tell <laughs> listeners what's the basic idea? What's it all about? It, this is my first nonfiction book. I I, I followed a high school basketball team for a season. I used to be a high school teacher in Oakland. I taught at Bishop O'Dowd High School in Oakland, California. And my last year there, uh, there was a lot of buzz around the varsity men's team. So I followed them for a season and, and did a book about them. It's my very first time doing a book about real people, especially real people that I know. Uh, so th that was kind of nerve wracking. And uh, and then it was also about basketball, which I actually knew nothing about at the beginning of the project. You know, I, I think some of it was I was just making decisions out of fear. Like I was I, I had finished one project that took me forever to finish uh, a graphic novel called Boxers and Saints. And I was like fishing for another story in this kind of plopped into my life. It, it, it just felt like everything was pointing to me doing this story, even though I knew nothing about basketball. I, I was like an anti-basketball fan before starting. <laughs> you fit right in. Yeah. <laughs> none of you are sports people? Uh, well, how would you define sports none people? Of us. What does that mean? I'm a sports people. Like you watch sports and you follow it and you play, you know, or maybe you're like part of some kind of team at the Y right now. <laughs> they, JR calls me the jock of the podcast, which is false, but I am. What? Why is it false? Category. A jock, a jock didn't get slammed into lockers when he was in high school. <laughs> some jo some jocks do, just the kind of nerdy jocks. I was like the Captain America before the serum. Okay, and now you're and like now Captain you're America after, after like the six serum. foot yeah. four. <laughs> Wait, but then how are you the jock now? Yeah, what happened? Do you just start you hanging out with nerdier people? Is that what you're saying? I mean, I like to play sports and watch sports. Okay. Ah. I don't, I don't, I don't play anymore though. My body doesn't like to play anymore. Now you're. You're a glory day jock. Oh, uh, right. back in the day. 
So do you have like jerseys hanging on in your bedroom and stuff? No, I think Jared just likes to call me a job. <laughs> but we've had this conversation, you know, that this book, because like it is a Matt is not into basketball or sports really at all. Yep. Um, I am into sports. Jr. kind of comes and goes, and Kathy. I'm married to a sports. A story fan. of interest. Yeah, uh, I know the rules. So I. Yeah, it like spans people of all interest levels in sports, doesn't it? For sure. Yeah, I thought so. I mean, I I'm Gene. Probably when you say anti basketball, that's probably where I am. Like I I I don't care about it literally at all. So I was actually a little. I love you and your work. And I was like, oh, man, I hope this book is good. Uh, and I loved it, actually. The history of basketball in it, the the kids on the team, like real affection for them comes through on the page. Um, and, and I think your story being wound into it, too. And then I, I wasn't like, oh, no, another basketball thing. By the end, I was like, OK, I want to know what's going to happen with these kids. Um, so, yeah, it worked for me as somebody who doesn't care about basketball at all. Kathy, what was your what was your experience? You're kind of a non-basketball person too well i'm i'm in a sports family if that makes sense um peter follows sports i didn't know that because we didn't know each other very long before we got married so it's another story (laughs) you didn't even know he likes sports when you got together (laughs) no because we got married four and a half months after we met Wow. Yeah. And so for, that's for my, those who haven't well, listened to the love is blind yeah. extra, they were on a reality dating show. No, we weren't. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. They hadn't even seen each other when they got engaged. Really? I mean, his parents tried an arranged marriage, but that didn't work. So, oh, wow. so instead he married me. Um, and luckily so, like, for you guys him, were moving in together and he has like, a basketball and you're no, like, Whoa, we got you like those? And then we're, it was April. So then it's like playoff time. And I had no idea, none, because we, it, it was like speed dating, speed marriage. So I tell people <laughs> when they're dating, you should date somebody for a year so that you can see like all four seasons of sports. <laughs> you were like, what is this madness happening at the end of March? Seriously. We were writing thank you notes during the playoffs. Oh. We meaning I. We, so you have yeah. like wounds I, about. Do, does it about sound sports. like that? Yeah, I'm you sorry. sound bitter. A little bit. So, a little bit. so what was so what was your experience reading the book? Okay, so coming, just coming the title alone, place. I was like dragon hoops. What? And then I saw a picture of the cover, and I was like, oh, basketball. And you know, March Madness, it's over. So there's been a lot of basketball talk in the home. Um, and for me, it was like, I picked up the book and it, yes, Jean, it's really heavy. It's a very heavy hardcover book. Yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean um, it No, be it's great there. because <laughs> it's it's great because my family likes to work out. So they were like passing it around like, oh, you could like, it's like a small hand weight. And, um, and I, so I was a little like, I don't know about basketball, but the first um, few pages I felt connected because I am like the female version. Once again, holding down the female end of the conversation. I was like, (laughs) okay, so sports were not something I grew up with. I'm entering it into it as like married to one. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I enjoyed the history of basketball. I had no idea. I enjoyed the commentary around gender and race. And the idea of new things. And again, uh, this being a graphic novel, that is also something that is not always in my like to-read genre. And I've deeply appreciated your earlier works, so Boxers and Saints and American Born Chinese, um, have opened up new things. So this felt like a, okay, I can read about basketball, but it didn't feel like I was reading about basketball, which I appreciated. (laughs) Hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you for all those nice things. I mean, that's, that's kind of where, where I was at the beginning too. I didn't really know anything about basketball. I started reading about basketball history, uh, just to get to know the, the sport. I wasn't planning on putting any of that stuff into the book itself. And I just found the history of the sport so interesting. You know, I've had so much overlap over 
uh, things that I was interested in anyway that I can, had to put it. Can I ask Gene, what was, what was one of those surprising facts about basketball history that captivated you? Well, I think just the fact that the sport was considered a, an outsider sport at the very beginning, you know, it was invented to be an indoor game, but really what it became was this game for communities that were not able to maintain a field. The big games in America, at least at that time, required a, a, a field of grass. You know, it was baseball and it was American football. Um, so here was a sport that all you really needed was a little bit of concrete, not even that much, just a little bit of concrete and some kind of a hoop to, to put a ball through and, and the ball itself, of course. Um, it, it um, that, that part just really fascinated me. You know, it, it was latched on. Like the, the communities that gravitated towards it were mostly like immigrant communities. There were African-American communities, Jewish communities. Uh, and, and in a lot of ways, the rise of basketball within uh, American culture, within America itself, really mirrored this rise of, of these marginalized communities that had, gra- had, had kind of latched onto it as their game. I thought the part in the book, uh, well, I mean, one of the like countless really fun parts of the book was the the history of the Harlem Globetrotters. Because I remember going to see the Harlem Globetrotters basically as a, I mean, now they exist mostly as a spectacle team. You know, they just, they play and it's, it's, it's entertainment. It's not a real game. Um, and yeah. knowing, like, I didn't know the full history of their story. So, like, I found that, that bit of the book, like, so fun and so compelling. Yeah, I I just took my kids to uh, a Harlem Globetrotters uh, game a couple of years ago, and they had a ton of fun. You know, it's super fun. It's like it's sort of like a combination of a basketball game and like Circus Soleil, maybe. You know, like like yeah. some of those oh, guys. Yeah. They're they're obviously athletes. They're also um, they're also these like world class entertainers. That like they they combine humor and athleticism and uh, and and really these like tricks like these really deft tricks you know um in, into something really unique but uh early on like that also surprised me that they were like this real hardcore force to contend with and, and it sounded like from what i read they did also do those encore tricks but um but they only did it if they had a really commanding lead you know <laughs> it, it's uh, that, that was uh yeah that was fascinating for me too so, you know, for me, I, um, like I'm pretty ambivalent to basketball. Uh, I grew up in Kansas city. So the closest NBA team to us was probably either like Minnesota or Chicago or Dallas, you know, with like way too far away, um, to have like a strong presence. We didn't even have like a minor league team. Um, so college basketball was like the big thing that my family was into but i just it wasn't ever a sport that i like particularly got into i mean we had a hoop in our backyard and stuff but uh on all that to say still i am a sucker for basketball stories like basketball movies especially underdog movies and stuff like that so i mean your book ticked all of those like archetypal boxes you know the underdogs the 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 guys who can never quite close the deal and get the championship like the kids it's like their last chance you know it was so so much of that was so enjoyable and then again like you take what is a very and i don't mean this in a bad way at all but like a very stereotypical story but then you add in the fact that this is a true story so i didn't have any assurance that they were going to win state this year and i loved that like i I was surprised and pleased that you were such a central character in the book and you were wrestling with all of the same anxieties. Like what if I get to the end of this story and it sucks? <laughs> like this has been my whole story. Like uh, when, when in the process of writing this, was it during that year that you were following the team or was it afterwards? Like when did you decide this was going to be so autobiographical? In the beginning, when I first proposed it to my publisher, I was not expecting to be in the book at all. I was expecting the whole thing to be about 200 pages. Uh, I was going to focus only on the players and the coach. And really, the debate at that point was whether or not I should fictionalize the whole thing or not, like just create fictional uh, counterparts to all of the, the real people on the team, you know, so I could have a little more control over the plot. And as the season progressed, I decided no... 
this actually has to be real. Uh, but then the problem was that I just felt like I had a lot of weaknesses as a storyteller, especially for this specific story, right? I'm not a basketball guy. I'm not even an athlete. I barely knew the game at all. I, you know, didn't really watch or follow basketball. And uh, I also felt like I had, like my background was very different from a few of the kids on, on that team. So the team itself was actually pretty diverse. You know, um, uh, most of the players were, were African-American. Uh, there was uh, one white player. There was two, uh, an Asian-American and, and, uh, and a foreign exchange student from China. But, um, but socioeconomically, with, within that team. It's from Oakland. Oakland is actually kind of divided in two by a freeway. So up in the Oakland Hills, the folks who are, you know, in tech, who work in the corporate world kind of live there. And, and then uh, on the other side of the freeway is the Oakland Flatlands. And and that's more of a, that's, you know, it's it's more working class folks and, and, and folks who uh, might even be struggling financially, right? So the the team was actually made of um, kids from, from both sides of that freeway. Uh, and, um, and especially like as a, as a kid who grew up in the, I'm a kid who grew up in the suburbs. Um, and, and I just, I felt like there wasn't a lot of overlap between me and some of the kids on the team. And I just, I felt weird about pushing. I just felt like if, you know, like I tried to push a little bit and then I realized if they don't want to talk about it, I don't know if it's my place to try to get them to talk about it. Mm. Uh, so, to, so that also felt like a weakness. And I just thought in order for me to be real about all these weaknesses, I had to put myself in there. You know, I had to be a character in the story that could admit that could, could admit the holes in, in my own perspective. That was, I actually thought that was one of the most compelling parts of the story was seeing your insecurities as you're going through and making what's actually a really beautifully done graphic novel and a really powerful story. Uh, so I, I really enjoyed that look behind the curtain. And I think, too, I was really interested. You know, we've talked with you multiple times about your career in comics and like when you're writing for Superman and things. And it was interesting to see some of that reflected in there, too, like your ambivalence about coming on to Superman at a time when Superman was changing from what you had grown up with um, and, and what you even loved about him. So I thought that was really interesting. Did you feel nervous at all talking about that? publicly yeah yeah i i uh i tried i tried to finesse it <laughs> I, tried, I didn't i didn't want to put any names in and even the conversations that i uh detail in in dragon hoops are amalgamations of multiple conversations right exactly one conversation so i i, I made sure to note that in the end notes I, I also think like um you know working for dc i i've been working for dc for about five years now and it really does seem like it's almost like when you get a group of people together there's there's sometimes there's like a a spirit or something that's bigger than any one individual and at mm -hmm. dc i really saw that with rebirth so if you're a superhero nerd you know you know what i'm talking about right in yeah. 2016 um, dc does a soft reboot of their entire universe they relaunch their entire line and really like i was still in the superman group um but uh, going from one era, like the pre-rebirth era to the post-rebirth era, really felt like I was working for a different company, you know? Hmm. But all the same people were in charge. My editor was still my editor, my assistant editor. Well, actually, my assistant editor was different. But my editor was still my editor. Uh, Dan DeDeal, Jim Lee were still in charge. Everybody was the same, but the company felt completely different, you wow. know? Um, and, and I think that that was some of what was happening for me when I first started at DC, like the, the mandate that all of their major characters be really different. Um, I don't know where that came from, but it's, it just felt like it, it, it definitely, I didn't feel as comfortable in that environment as I did after rebirth. Hmm. That's cool. What, you know, one of the themes we've been talking about this year on the fascinating podcast is this idea of crossing into unfamiliar territories and, and kind of rebuilding after a deconstruction. And there's a lot in your book uh, in, in dragon hoops about that, like meeting new people, learning to appreciate things you don't know much about. Ha has this been part of your growth as a human being kind of this, let's go into a new territory, do something different 
in the last several years? Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, I, mean, I, I teach at Hamlin University. I'm part of their MFA program. Uh, I'll sometimes have students who come to me and, and they have multiple project ideas and they're like, which one should I do? You know, and I always tell them, uh, do the one that scares you the most because it'll it'll push you the most as both a writer and as a human being. And with Dragon Hoops, I felt like I had to kind of ante me up. You know, I had to kind of follow that that same advice. But um, I I do think that I think it's especially true right now. Right now, but uh, even before this, it seemed like because of technology or I don't know because of all these things that were happening in the world, it felt like the world was changing faster than the human mind could keep up with. So it felt like the future was going to require us to step out into discomfort more and more often. And within the last couple of months, it's just been like, I mean, this is just crazy. Right? This is like a crazy yeah. <laughs> disruption. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, is that something that you, I mean, why were you all talking about it? Is it because you've also noticed that it seems to be a... We, I think all four of us were talking about, uh, everybody else can chime in here too, but we were talking about how exhausting the conversation about deconstruction comes when there's no, you take everything apart and then you sit in the wreckage. And you specifically don't, when it, specifically with regards to faith, yeah, like, right? Yeah. You don't rebuild anything. Yeah, you know, evangelical theology is so young; it's kind of going through like an adolescent phase right now. And you have a lot of people who were raised in very uh, well-meaning but very strict and non, um, like non-flexible environments and structures. And as they're coming into their own faith they push on those things that they inherited and they find them lacking in some way. And so they just, there's kind of this impulse to like tear it all down. And yeah. that's happening all like, it seems like every month or two, there's some prominent evangelical pastor or personality of some kind who's announcing that they've left the faith and here's all the reasons why. And it's, it's rarely anything that's like, a, there, there's never a new thought. No one's, no, it's never something that everyone's like, Oh my gosh, no one's ever thought of that before. And again, theological traditions that are significantly older, like, you know, mainline churches, certainly Catholicism, just have way more room for these kinds of questions and, and explorations. And uh, so, yeah, we've been talking about like, well, it's, it's fine to question and to pick things apart and to make things your own, but how do you make sure you're building something in its place, you know, which again, often requires us to, uh, and I, I forget which week or which day of your virtual tour it was, but it's where you talk about Sikhism and the things that you learned in Sikhism and the things you admire about it, which is in Dragon Hoops, um, which is a great example of that, right? Where we're not afraid to say, hey, maybe people who come from other faith traditions have things that they can teach us or ways that we can benefit from a friendship with them. So I mean, it's things like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think faith-wise, I am on kind of a... a I think it's true for a lot of us, right? We, we're on this this cycle of uh, deconstruction and, and reconstruction, and um, and it is important for us not to not to uh, not to deconstruct, and then that's that's the end of the cycle, right? Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And and for me, for that, especially with that that stuff with Sikhism, it really felt like um, it came at a, a good time for me, you know. Uh, I didn't know anything uh, about Sikhism before I started hanging out with Jeevan, before I started interviewing him for the book. And um, and there's this central idea in Sikhism. Man, it's been a while since I did the research, but it's it's um, they they basically believe in a um, the, the way I interpret it as a Catholic is that it there's a, there's just a lot of overlap between um, the the underlying idea of Sikhism and and the idea of um, of the word, you know, at the beginning of of uh, of logos at the at the beginning of the Gospel of John, you know, the logos, like the, the Greek idea of the logos. Oh yeah, yep. It's sort of indescribable. If you try to describe it, you're not describing it right. If you think you understand it, you don't really actually understand it. All of that, right? And and there's something very uh, affirming for me um, just personally at that specific time realizing that this idea isn't just it's not just a purely western idea that it's sort of 
like the fact that the fact that um th- these folks in india figured figured something out like that it made it feel more universal to me and and, and that was somehow comforting i don't know if that makes sense but at the very least hey now jeevan <laughs> that's the that's the moral of the story help me out a little bit <laughs> no i really i sorry go ahead kathy well i think that's part of it too it it goes back for you you were unfamiliar right not a lot yeah. of exposure to sikhism and having to learn about it interview someone about it ask them about why this is important to who they are and what they do and the overlaps and then the connections to where you are or what is important to you and i think that's one of the the things with your book dragon hoops that i found so interesting not being a huge sports person but being in that culture now where it is very much like a religion yeah. <laughs> right. There there are rituals and you you write about, you know, some of the rituals that the players have and hmm. um superstitions and um and it is, it does feel like there are so many parallels. Can you talk a little bit about how your faith has been impacted by the journey of this book? Because you mentioned, you know, that that time of interviewing came at a important and good time for you so what yeah. what has that been like because that's not that's not always the case for writers yeah 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 i um i i mean i think i i constantly struggle with fear my wife and i talk about this all the time she's like never anxious and i'm mm-hmm. always anxious and it drives me crazy that she's never anxious <laughs> you know she's never anxious. I'm like, always like oh it'll work out always and, and like <laughs> It almost always does, which makes me even more mad. But um, <laughs> well, this is your for, season, uh, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but for, when I was working on uh, on Dragon Hoops, you know, as I talk about in the narrative, this this opportunity comes up for DC. It feels like I ought to leave uh, my teaching job, but I really liked my teaching job. And not only did I like it, not only did I like the people that were around me at that school, you know, the students and my fellow teachers, but also I. Um, was really afraid of letting go of um, this community, of letting go of something that was so comfortable, uh, a place that felt like home. I was afraid of letting go of like a monthly paycheck, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and and um, and I don't know if I would have done it had I not been following this team. Like, mm-hmm. just I, I really think that uh, sports is a source of narrative you know like i think people go and watch basketball games because they want to watch a story and they want to watch a story that they can't predict so when we read superman stories we know superman's going to win from page one but with sports it's not like that and that unpredictability that uncertainty uh i think it amplifies the courage that is on the court especially for high school sports i think like with high school kids it just feels like the stakes are so high you know like these are like 14 15 16 year old kids um uh, during that season they were playing in front of these giant audiences these giant crowds a couple of their games were televised uh and they knew that these games because of the the age that they were at these were going to be some of their most vivid memories for the rest of their lives right and some of these memories were going to be awesome and some of these memories were going to be really embarrassing they knew that they knew that before every game um and they were still willing to, to step on that court play in front of these giant crowds at the risk of doing something really embarrassing so uh i think that really inspired me i think it really inspired me to to kind of show the same kind of courage in, in my own life i have a couple more what i have two questions about one kind of last facet of the book and uh before we wrap up uh so my my book empathy for the devil is uh, like a definitely partly autobiographical and i got a phone call from my mom after i had told my family i had turned in my final edits and it was all ready to go and she said hey so my parents are divorced they got divorced when i was 13 it was pretty messy and she goes um, if you wrote about the divorce, I hope that you were kind. 
Mm. And I was like, huh, I did not until that moment realize how much anxiety my mom had around me writing a book that was autobiographical because that would mean that she was a character in it. Um, mm. And I guess maybe I should have thought about that, but I, I, but I didn't. And so when I, when I was reading uh, Dragon Hoops and there was that amazing, like I like one of the parts I put the book down and just sort of like smiled because it was so fun to read. The part with uh, Jeevid and you discussing how you had been drawing his hair. Yeah. Uh, because, so I guess during the process, you had been posting that you were working on the book and posting it on your Tumblr, and the kids who were characters in the book were then engaging you in the class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah, he wasn't the only one. Um, there, there were a couple other other kids that complained about how I was drawing them. <laughs> and they did it in a really light way. You know, they did it in a really, really nice way. Uh, but uh, yeah, well, you say multiple times in the book that you're not good at. Uh drawing people exactly how they look i'm not i'm definitely not it, also like i i think some of that is i mean some of that is obviously i just i'm not good at it but also some of it is i think when you're drawing a comic it matters more that the characters are distinct from one another right and that look like they're real world counterparts so I, so I um so yeah and so not only are you drawing this team but then you were you were at the you taught at the school for quite a lot of years and sev not only your family but also some of your friends and fellow teachers are in it so i like the first question i hope is more of a fun one which is like how when the book came out finally um did you get to have any kind of an event with these folks with these kids like how did they react to finally getting to see the finished product or have they yeah, been? We were to? gonna. We were gonna uh, this coming weekend. <laughs> but I got, oh, no. oh no! No! It was. Uh, we were gonna do this like book event on campus, and it was gonna be an interview with uh, with Tin Fam, who's a character in the book. He was gonna be the moderator, and he was gonna interview me and Coach Lou. I didn't and know we, Tin Fam taught at your school. Yeah, yeah, he taught. Which he taught his book Sumo is amazing. Yeah, yeah it is amazing. Book. It really is amazing. He's a great cartoonist. He's a little lazy. Like, he should have been a book. <laughs> I keep getting on him to do it. But, uh, you, oh, you know what he's doing right now, though? He's doing quarantine comics. Is he so really? He's actually doing a daily comic on his Tumblr. Oh, man. What his life oh, like. nice. I check that out. So good. But still out. lazy. No, he's, he's, yeah, the quarantine has made him not lazy, believe it or not. Tim Fam, you're welcome to join this show and give your side of this story at <laughs> yeah, any yeah, time. Yeah. Just what JR is asking. Yeah. So, how do people in real life feel when you, <laughs> you discuss them while well, Tim Fam's lazy? Well, we, uh, he knows. I've said, I feel like I can't say anything behind his back that I haven't said. So, um, the other, the other question I have and, uh, is around, the inclusion of the the legacy coach in the book who who was the you know the original coach of the school who led them to so many victories uh and your your ambivalence and i don't want i don't want to spoil exactly in case i know many of our listeners haven't read the book yet but there's some really legitimately good reasons that you wrestled with including him or not uh in the book and i'm curious again like how how has that ended up working out behind the scenes? Like, was that a conversation you ended up having to have with some of the other, like with the other coaches, with the other teachers? I know you and your wife obviously talked about it. Um, yeah. How how was that when you finally kind of made the decision? Okay, he has to be a part of this narrative. Oh man, that was that was a that was a rough that was a rough decision all all the way through. Like uh, maybe even six months before I turned it in. So just maybe two years ago, year and a half ago. Um, I had drawn the chapter with him in it. I'd drawn most of the pages that he was on. And I still had this plan B where I could pull all that stuff out and replace it with other things and, and still get the book to work. And I, I had a conversation with Mark Siegel, who's my editor about it. Um, I, um, I talked to, I talked to Tin about it, Tin and Brianna, you know, who are in the book. I talked to my wife about it. And, uh, and when I made the decision really was one night, I actually went to coach Lou's house and we just hung out. He had like ESPN on. We were we were sitting on his couch and we just talked. We talked about uh, Mike Phelps and we talked about, um, you know, whether whether or not I should include him in the book. And ultimately, he was like, like I was worried about um, how it would affect Coach Phelps' life. I was also worried about how it would affect uh, uh, Lou. And and ultimately, he's like, you know, you should 
just, just do what's truthful, you know, just do what's truthful. So that's that ended up being what we did. Uh, but it was it was hard. Like even now, I feel weird about it. You know, even now I feel weird about putting it in. Can I ask why you still feel weird? Um, because I was worried that um, I, I mean, it's just, it, I think I think with like that basketball program is an amazing program, right? It's an amazing mm-hmm. program, and the basketball program should be about the kids uh, and and all of their achievements. But uh, even now, there is this weird shadow that is cast by what happened in the past. Uh, and I wanted the book to be um, about the kids, about the kids in that 2014, 2015 season. Um, so so the reason why I was debate like the reason I would would have left it out had I left it out was because I did not want that incident to cast a shadow over the kids. But then mm-hmm. my feeling was, even if I left it out, people who were connected to California high school basketball know about that. You know, he was within that community coach phelps was a huge figure everybody knew up and down up and down the west coast they knew about that and it just seemed like even if i left it out that shadow would still be there mm-hmm. and i oughta like the reason why i put it back in was because or the reason why i decided to leave it in was because i was like i i should just confront the shadow directly but um but i i still feel like i, I don't know i don't know if it I mean, I, I think for some readers, it'll still overshadow the kids. I I didn't feel like it overshadowed it. I, f- I do feel like it worked as an engine for part of the book where I wasn't, you don't come right out and say what the issue is, but you know, you have your suspicions and it made, it, it was part of what made it a page turner. I'm like, okay, what's going on underneath the surface here? Is there something you know, that like the book is all about how wonderful the program is and how great the kids are and the coaching's amazing. And then you're like, wait, is there something else going on here too? And I, I thought it was effective story-wise from there. And I thought it was great to enter into, I think it's good that there's some ambivalence at the end about all the feelings of, you know, I, I again, not as a sports guy, from the outside, sometimes I look at this like, everything's amazing. We won a game. Uh, we're amazing people. And then like you lose a game and you're like, Oh, everything's horrible. And I, I don't understand that very well myself. So I felt like the kind of complex emotional world you built for what happens as we move toward the end of the book was actually really compelling. So I I think it was a, I think it was a wise story decision. Well, thanks. Thank you. Yeah. I don't feel, and Gene, I'll just say too, I don't feel like it distracted from the kids at all. Like I just, the last couple months was helping out at a high school youth group that has been without a youth pastor for like a year. And I just stopped with them because they got a permanent guy, which is great. Everyone's happy, including me, but you know, I was feeling kind of sad about it. And I was reading the book and I was like, oh, this is, this is how I felt. It's like, here's these kids that I really care about. Uh, and you know you're only going to be in their life for this little section. But it doesn't mean you don't feel affection for them, that you don't want good things for them. Like, I felt a lot of that reflected in the book. So I felt like it was really honoring to those kids. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hopefully they feel that way. But yeah. I did as a reader, for sure. Yeah, I have, I have heard from some of them over social media and stuff, and, and they, uh, they, they're pretty excited about it, which is nice. I mean, they're what? not kids anymore. They're all like adults now because they're so- right because it started a long time ago. <laughs> I would lose my mind if I was in a graphic novel. I'm just saying. Like, Gene, Gene made it on the cover this time, Jr. I know <laughs> that's true. Uh, um, Gene, we we have to wrap up in a minute, but you do have one piece of comic news that you've made uh, public lately that's pretty exciting. You want to share that with our listeners? Oh yeah, I'm uh, I'm doing some work for Marvel. I'll be doing uh, I'll be writing the Shang Chi comic for for them. So I've turned in the script for the first so book, awesome the first issue, awesome. and I'm working on the second issue right now. It's been fun. It's been fun. So it's especially that's so exciting because the movie, his movie, is coming out next. Well, it was meant to come out next year. Maybe it'll be pushed back now. Yeah, yeah. We'll but. see what happens. We'll see what happens with all that, but. Uh, it's been fun so far. Uh, we'll we'll see how everything goes. 
Are you, I know like in, um, you, when, when you're writing about the green turtle, you kind of dealt with some of the past racism and the way things were built. And there's some of that built into Shang-Chi too, with, he's supposed to be the son of Fu Manchu and like originally (laughs) and like stuff like that. Are you messing with some of that as well? Yeah. Yeah. We're, um, we're, okay, great. we're going to try at of least. Of course you are. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see That's how that awesome. goes too. So there's some things that we can't change because, um, the Marvel universe, at, at least in my very limited experience writing inside the Marvel universe right now, it's a little bit, it feels like it's a little bit less malleable than the DC universe was. Like sure. the DC universe, it feels like they, um, they would reboot all the time. <laughs> right. Marvel seems it's like a cycle. Yeah, they do. They do like soft reboots, but there's certain things that you can't change. Right. That makes sense. All right. Cool. Well, excited about that. You're always working on fun, interesting things, Gene. Well, thank you guys. Um, thank you. Well, Gene, you know, we, uh, we usually also talk about something fascinating this, this week, uh, it can be pop culture. Last week, mine was birds, so it can just be something around you. That's fine. Um, you want to participate with us? You got a thing sure. that's interesting you right now? Cool. All right, let's jump yep. in. Uh, JR, you want to start us off? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I uh, have had a couple of puzzles that I ordered from Mondo, which is a great poster company based out of Austin, sitting on my shelf for a while. And I thought quarantine was a great time to bust one out. So I uh, acquired a long table from my church yesterday, since we're not going to be using those anytime in the near future, <laughs> brought it back to my house. And I'm now working on a Captain Marvel puzzle that is just delightful. It's a thousand pieces. Um, I'll post some pictures of it on my Instagram, but uh, it's going to be pretty tough. But I'm having a lot of fun with it so Wait, and then i have a Captain spider-man Marvel? the carol danvers <laughs> um and then i have uh then i have a spider-man versus doc ock that'll be next after i finish that one so super into puzzles nice. right now it's a good time for them <laughs> awesome uh clay what about you what do you what are you uh fascinated by this week oh man well everybody's binging and streaming this and that and uh you know i'm pretty much a nonfiction nerd. So I end up at PBS half the time because I love my PBS app on my fire TV. And <laughs> you sound like it, a commercial. Too. I hope we're getting I, paid. For I am that. happy <laughs> support the arts, support public broadcasting by donating just $5 a month. You get all of the history oh of every video that's ever been made. PBS. That's a it's sports amazing. thing, right? <laughs> no, there's, there's like only documentaries about sports on PBS. Oh, okay. That's what I thought. But this new documentary just came out a three-parter by Robert Stone called Chasing the Moon. And um, it came out last summer, I guess, but I've just caught up with it this week. And, you know, the space race is always coming back around. It's always in movies and all these stories come around every 10 years. Um, This once again, though, is a new take on it, really for, I think, more of a modern generation. Um, for, For one, it just has incredible archival footage, so much of the stuff that's never been seen. But it really tells the story of the space race through, you know, more modern sensibilities. uh, We just talked about Edge White, the first African-American astronaut. Well, he was prohibited from going into space. We just talked about him a couple months ago on this show. Um, So there's an extended passage where civil rights is tied in to the space race. Um, Poppy Northcutt, she was in charge of getting people home from the other side of the moon. And so all of the dynamic with women in the uh, time and in the space program, and she's interviewed at length so it's just really well done it's called chasing the moon if you don't get the pbs app you can find it somewhere else but i highly recommend it. it's really fascinating that's awesome thanks clay uh kathy what are you what are you looking at these days it's not really pop culture it's just the flipping of life in general and Mm. um so i'm i'm of the sandwich generation my parents are in their 70s dad's going to be 80 this year and still have grown children who have all moved back home. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I'm uh, telling my 18 year old high school senior that he can't see his friends until forever. Yep. And then I'm also on the phone yelling at my parents to not leave the house. Yep. And I feel like my life has just like, it's very strange. Same, Kathy. I'm right. yelling at my mom all the time. Right. So it's like the high school me and my parents, but we've flipped. And no mom, 
You cannot go meet your line dancing friends. You're much no. harsher than your parents, though. You're like, curfew is forever. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, you can't go out at all. No. Um, so there's that. And then the we were the family that had a timer set by the one family computer that was set up in the kitchen for screen time. And it wasn't like 30 minutes each. It was 30 minutes. And so when the timer went off, that was it. And here we are now. And I'm like, you know what? You can just go talk to your friends. Go FaceTime them. Right. Google Hangouts. So it just feels very odd how everything has changed. And then we've got two kids who are supposed to go learn online. And Peter, who is trying to figure out how to teach certain things online. Mm -hmm. And so I'm... I'm fascinated by this shift um, and what's going to happen in terms of education and technology. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big shift. I turned off my internet, my personal, like my access to the internet today. Cause three people in my family were streaming things they needed to be involved in. <laughs> right. right. Like I'm doing dance class. I'm right. at Boston. I'm doing work. I'm like, I yeah. don't, I, we can't all be doing this. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, Gene, what about you? What's fascinating you this week? Well, uh, Jared Krasoska, you know who he is? No. no. He's, a, he's a graphic novelist. He, he did a book called Hey Kiddo, which was nominated for the National Book Award. It's amazing. Uh, and he did a series called Lunch Lady, which was really popular with like third, fourth, fifth graders. Super fun, too. Uh, but he is actually live streaming art lessons from his studio every day, Monday through Friday oh, wow. at 2 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, it's amazing. Like I did it with my kids and they loved it. He's like got kind of a Mr. Rogers vibe to him. You should check <laughs> it out. So you have young kids in the, in the house. All right, cool. That sounds awesome. Um, for me, I'm, I'm reading a novel. I'm partway through it right now by Sarah Pinsker, who's pretty what well, if you're in science fiction community, she's pretty well known. Uh, for writing these beautiful short stories with kind of uh, offbeat characters. Uh, And this, I think, is her first novel. It's been uh, nominated for a Nebula, which is one of the big science fiction awards. It's called A Song for a New Day. It just came out this fall. And uh, it's so fascinating. This is a book about a global pandemic that hit. It's it's a combination global pandemic and, like, immense uh, global terrorism kind of taking off at the same time. So everyone's being forced into social distancing, all the things we're experiencing right now. But what the novel's largely about is this band that was just hitting it big as the pandemic hit. And now the lead singer wants to do like secret shows in person. Uh, And it's kind of about all the complexities of that. Like she's rebelling against this global kind of, everything going on. There's the danger of the disease, all these things happening. And meanwhile, there's another character on the other side who's trying to figure out how do we build a virtual platform that allows us to connect with things like music in a way that we haven't been able to before. And and can they somehow complement each other in the midst of these global problems, partly being caused by uh, global corporations, global governments, like all these things. So really fascinating book from a year ago. You know, it came out, who knows how long ago she wrote it, but it, it feels like something that was written after the days we're living in, which is, I think, what the best science fiction does. You're like, wow, how did they know this? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, looks pretty good. JR, you want to you wanna take us home? All right, folks, this has been episode 255. Our guest has been Gene Lewin Yang. His newest graphic novel, Dragon Hoops, is terrific and available. Um, probably <laughs> you can get your hands on it. Uh, I, I did, Gene, I just ordered my hard copy on Amazon and it said I'm going to get it on April 21st. So, yeah, um, yeah so anyway, uh, but. It, you know, if you can get it digitally, it's available. That's how I read it the first time. It's a great book. Uh, if you love sports, you're definitely going to love this book. If you don't love it, you're going to be surprised how much you still love this book, as book. Uh, several of our listeners can attest. So please check it out. Gene, uh, as always, thank you so much for being on with us today. Thank you for having me. It's always super fun, even during a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> maybe especially. Right. Yeah, maybe especially. You're right. Maybe especially. <laughs> 
We will be back next week with another great episode. Until then, please reach out to Gene. Let him know you enjoyed hearing him on the show. And uh, enjoy Dragon Hoops. Let us know what you think of it. And take care of yourselves out there.